Welcome, everybody, to the PFF College Football Podcast. I'm joined on the line by Anthony Tresh. We are going to recap week four's action from Saturday night, get you caught up to speed. The first thing I have to mention is pretty much every quarterback that me and Tresh roasted over the offseason played super good today. And all the guys we uh, we thought were kind of okay just kind of were not okay. So uh, before you start, you can turn us off already and not listen to us because we clearly don't know what we're talking about. Anyways, Tony, what's going on? No, not much, man. Uh, you were in my T's and P's all day yesterday. <laughs> your, your boy Jeff Sims did not get off to a great start. And then, of course, LSU, the Sam Ellinger Heisman train fell apart. You know, it was even for me, you know, I, Jerry Deggie, I'm hyping this guy up. He did not play good at all. I mean, it was a, like you said, it was a rough day for both of us, but it was fun. Yeah, and, and we'll get to it, but uh, we also had uh, Kyle Trask do his damn thing. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, we should be trusted with this stuff. But thanks for listening, anyways. We'll get right into it. Um, Alabama, Missouri. Yeah. What? So, hang on. I, I want to get your thoughts on this one because I mean, I mean, this offense. I kind of had my doubts about Alabama whether or not they could kind of be on that Ohio State Clemson level. But with Mac Jones, I mean, he looks he looks pretty dang good. Yeah. So this is like the one guy that I probably got right, uh, even though it's just against Missouri. But he actually plays with a lot of good timing and and accuracy. So you give him those type of receivers and they, and they showed out again, eight catches, 134 yards, two touchdowns for Jalen Waddle. <laughs> you're, you're, they're going to be fine. And who else can play in, in the SEC West right now is, is important. Like who, who, who knows really. All right. So then we'll go on to uh, Kansas state, Oklahoma, our first big upset of the day, the, the, uh, the noon game on Fox, what man, what's going on? They can't Oklahoma can't beat Kansas State. Dude, I know. You know, I, I wrote an article about a week ago and when the Big Ten came back and I said I outlined pretty much like the four or five teams that really got screwed from the Big Ten coming back. Like they have no shot making the CFP because it's gonna be Clemson, Alabama, Ohio State, and Oklahoma. That that basically all just went down the toilet because they, now it's wide open because Oklahoma just lost. And I, I saw a lot of people saying, you know, Spencer Rattler, he was the reason for that. And it's just kind of mind boggling to me. I know he had, you know, multiple bad decisions, a couple of bad throws in there, especially to end the game with that interception. He actually had four turnover worthy plays, which is the most by an Oklahoma quarterback ever in the Lincoln Riley era. So, I mean, but at the same time, he still showed his arm talent. You know, it's, it's there. I think by the end of the season, we're all going to be in agreement that this guy is a star in college football even though there's a bunch of Oklahoma haters and Big 12 haters out there that just don't think he's going to be, you know, as good as Baker, Kyler, and Jalen Hurts. I think he will. I think this kind of just showed more about how bad that defense is. You know, they kind of – they had a good day, I would say, when you're looking at it from like a, you know, a rate and efficiency standpoint, but they just gave up a handful of really big, pivotal plays. They actually allowed four plays in coverage that was over 35 or more yards which all set up touchdown drives for Kansas State. So that was kind of the, the big thing there when you throw in those couple of bad decisions by Spencer Rattler. It was kind of, you know, kind of all went down the drain. But, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see, especially with this now, how that final CFP spot kind of shakes out because, you know, you have a one-loss one Oklahoma or maybe even Texas team winning the Big 12, and then you have maybe Notre Dame say they split with Clemson. It, which, which one are you going to choose? Or UCF's undefeated? I think we have a very interesting thing now on our hands. But uh, – 
Now going on to Georgia, Arkansas. I don't know about you, but Juan Mathis, this was the most insane debut I've ever seen by a quarterback at the college level. Well, yeah, and this is – I mean, you posted about it on Twitter just now, like going through like some of the insane throws and then some of the reasons why they only scored five points at halftime and had to bring in Stetson Bennett, who, if I'm not mistaken, was one of our top five graded uh, – number eight graded passer – after uh, after week one, after pretty much only playing a half, you know, 20 for 31, two big-time throws, no turnover-worthy plays, only sacked once, 211, 211 yards. So, like, a wild start, and they clearly thought that, you know, JT Daniels was, was injured or else he probably would have came off the bench. So, he's injured. They go with the freshman. They thought they could get some juice out of him. doesn't work. They go to the guy. I think he's – feel like Stenson Bennett's been there for – for five years and it turns it around, albeit against a team that we kind of think is probably the worst team in the, in the SEC. Uh, going on to Florida Ole Miss again, like I said, we talked shit about Kyle Trask all off season and what does he do? He throws six touchdowns, 416 yards, 30 for 42. What did you see from Kyle Trask? Yeah, and my mentions are going to be, when we get this takeaways and team of the week article popping up on pff.com, my mentions are going to be through the roof because Florida fans do not like me for my Kyle Trask analysis. And I will say this is by far, he has never even sniffed the level of play that we saw from him yesterday. I mean, he was just shy of an elite passing grade. He still kind of had a few of those kind of 2019 Kyle Trask moments. There was one play he just completely disregarded the box safety, almost threw it to him, should have been picked in my opinion. Uh, he so thought I, it was an RPO, yeah. Yeah, you know, there's still – some of that kind of still uh, shows up. Didn't look, you know, completely comfortable when under pressure. I'm not, I'm not going to drink the uh, Florida Gators and Kyle Trask Kool-Aid. To, not yet, at least. I need to see it a couple more times, but – I mean, this was the best, you know, most efficient passing attack in PFF college era from Florida in a single game yesterday. So, I mean, obviously I liked what I saw, but I want, I want to see more of it just because, you know, he teased us last year, you know, he started that first game against Tennessee, played pretty good, never touched that level of play again. So we'll see if he maintains that, but um, on to the next one, Seth, I, I have to get your opinions You go vent to me, voice your frustrations over your LSU Tigers losing to Mike Leach, KJ Castell, and the Mississippi State Bulldogs? So I'll start with, like, the offense because that's going to take me a minute. Miles um, Brennan, I don't think he ever was the guy. There's a reason why they went to get Joe Burrow as a transfer two years ago because, you know, when you watch the spring game uh, in the year after Danny Hetland graduated, and it looked like we, we thought Miles Bennett was going to be the guy that year, and he didn't look very good in the spring game. So I think that's why they went out and found a transfer quarterback in Joe Burrow. And it, it kind of showed up. You know, everyone's saying, yeah, it's, yes, it's his first start, 100%. Got to give him, you know, some time to fit in. And he did play better in the second half. But uh, maybe he's just not the guy. Maybe he's just not the guy. I mean, he's been in the system for now three years, so maybe he's not the guy. Now, with that said, the offense actually scored 34 points. And they kind of turned it on, turned it on um, from the second quarter on. The defense, however, it, I don't really want to blame. No, again, LSU is without all their players from last year. So this was always going to be a monumental task to, to in my opinion, even win 
uh, six games in the SEC with how much talent they lost last year. But I don't know if they were put in the greatest position to win the football game on defense by new defensive coordinator Bo Pelini. Bo Pelini obviously knows a lot about football. Everyone I've talked to says that he's like a football encyclopedia, super smart guy. But I think that playing against the air raid without Derek Stingley, without Carrie Vincent, you know, and then without, uh, you know, Christian Fulton and, um, and, and uh, Grant Delphit, it's like, let's not just play man coverage with all the new guys we have out there. And that's what they did the whole game. And it's, it was a lot of cover two men where you don't have any low hole defenders to cut any of Leach's classic mesh concept. So now you have receivers running across the field on shallows and they do a good job of, of picking your defenders so that now you got to, you got to find your way through a crowd if you're a DB and now run across the field and try and catch the guy. And it just, LSU did not have the players on the field yesterday to do that for uh, 60 minutes. And that's pretty much what they did for 60 minutes. In fact, you know, one of the few times they played zone, uh, it was third and 20. They actually got a, a completion. Mississippi State actually got a completion, but it went through the hands of a zone defender. So it's like, well, let's put people, let's have Kedrick Costello make mistakes. But when you play man like that, and they didn't probably get, didn't get enough pressure when you play man like that with a bunch of new guys, uh, it, it was rough. It was rough. So yeah, that's all I really, I'm going to write about this, get my frustrations out on paper, but so that's all I want to say about it. Let's move on to Auburn and Kentucky, uh, kind of a close game, weird play at the end of the half. But then uh, Auburn kind of pulls away. Uh, Bo Nix, is he the real deal, finally? Is it going to happen? All first-time depositors at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 into their account while using promo code PFF will receive a free, free PFF Edge annual subscription. So that's a $40 value for just $20. And you'll get that opportunity to turn that $20 into even more money playing daily fantasy football and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the USA in Monkey Knife Fight. Go to Monkey Knife Fight and deposit your $20 with promo code PFF today to receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. MooseFit is a premium online workout program and remote coaching service that provides you with daily workouts based on your goals, the time you have available, and the equipment you have at your disposal. Gym still closed because of COVID and you don't have any equipment at your home or your apartment, MooseFit has a bodyweight program that will push you and challenge you. Heading on a beach vacation and looking to tighten things up a bit, MooseFit has a physique program. With 15 different pre-made programs, MooseFit has something for everyone. Additionally, MooseFit offers completely customized programs that are unique to each member. No two custom programs are the same. Purchase your MooseFit membership and a MooseFit coach will reach out to you with a questionnaire Based on the information provided in the questionnaire, your MooseFit coach will either assign you a pre-made program to you or will create a custom program for you. All workouts are delivered to members through an easy-to-use mobile and desktop application that allows you, you and your coach to easily track your progress and make any adjustments to your program that may be necessary. Founded by a former Army Special Operatives captain and former Division I athlete turned professional CrossFit athlete, MooseFit is well-equipped to help you pr- help provide you 
with daily workouts that will challenge you and help you reach your health and fitness goals. For PFF listeners, use the code PFF50 and receive 50% off your first month. For more information, check out the, check them out on Instagram at MooseFit or their website, www.moosefit.com. Yeah, I don't know. I've, Auburn got so lucky at the end of the first half because I believe it was Rodriguez, if I, if I remember correctly. Yeah, he scored a touchdown. He was in the end zone. That should have been – Kentucky should have been up a score at the half. And next thing you know, Roger McCreary, great play. was our play of the week for sure. Kind of changed everything around. And, yeah, Bo Nix, he did play really well. But I think, you know, he's kind of in that Kyle Trask boat that I need to see – I need to see him do it consecutive games. Just because last year he would have some of these moments. You know, he had six games when he had a passing grade above 70.0. But in that remaining seven, he didn't even crack 60.0. So, I mean, he, he's just kind of all over the place. And he would never – he could never go back-to-back weeks playing at that kind of level. But, I mean, I was impressed with how he executed the Auburn um, offense. He had three big-time throws. I really liked the one to Seth Williams. Um, you know, it, that was down in the second half. I can't remember what point in the game, but that was a great throw, touchdown there. But, I mean, you know, I, I need to see Bo Nix do – do more of this before I'm all the way sold on Auburn. But, you know, if Bo Nix plays like this the rest of the year and Kyle Trask plays like he is the rest of the year, I mean, this is going to be a very, very interesting SEC conference here. But, yeah, I think Auburn really got lucky there at the end of the first half. And I'm not even sure if, you know, they called that a touchdown. I think we might have been, you know, we might have seen a lot of things different in this game. But – on to the next one, Texas, Texas Tech. I don't know about you, but this one was very frustrating to me because this Texas Tech defense is so, so bad. And Texas's defense looked just as bad. So I, I, I need to get your opinion on this one. Well, I, I was thinking about this during the game. I just like don't understand how it's year after year after year where the Big 12 is still this. Every team, you know, it's funny because if you'll recall when Iowa State, like, came on the scene, you know, Matt Campbell, I guess his second year, 2017. And it was like, wow, look at the, what they're doing with the three safeties and stuff. And it's like, you know, they weren't even like, I've in like S and P plus, they weren't even like top 25 in defense that year. So it's like, yeah, that was the, their best team. And it wasn't even, uh, it wasn't even one of the best in the country on defense. So I, I, I was thinking about this during the game. I was like, well, how, how does this keep happening? I mean, I guess it's one of those things where, if you're a, a big time defensive recruit, it's like this, the never ending cycle where it's like, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go to, to the big 12, but if I'm an offensive recruit with, with, with a big time cachet, then I will go to the big 12. So like, you just have this never ending cycle of great offenses and bad defenses. And we saw it again. I mean, I think what, what is the final score? 63, 56, Texas, they went in in overtime. Sam Sam didn't play that well, and they still were able to put up uh, 63 points or 56 points um, at the end of regulation. Uh, that was that's my guy, but four turnover-worthy plays, only two big-time throws, like that's not going to get it done uh, going forward. And they honestly had a big – they probably should have lost this game. Uh, let's move on to another guy who I said was going to be really good this year, but then kind of didn't have a good game against one of the worst SEC teams. That's Kellen Mond, Texas A&M 17, Vanderbilt, uh, 12. 
Yeah, I, I saw a couple of people on Twitter say, you know, maybe Vandy's a sneaky good team. Maybe they finally have a squad, you know. But no, this this was just a really, really bad Texas A&M offense. Kellen Mond just goes three for 11 on throws of 10 or more yards downfield. Just not even one big time throw. Not a single one. Also having a turnover where they one in the process. I mean, they, they gave Vandy multiple times in the fourth quarter. Had a couple fumbles. Gave them you know, just right there in front of them, but they couldn't execute it. So, I, you know, this this team, it's a, it's a top 10 team, you know, supposedly it is, but it did not look like a top 10 team from my perspective at all. I will say from Vandy, Andre Mintz, the, the edge rusher there, I, I, he is, I think he's one of the few, you know, really bright spots. I, I think he's one of the best edge rushers in the SEC. I'm going to say it. I think Vanderbilt has one of the best pass rushers in the SEC and Andre Metz. I just had to get that one out there. But, you know, at this rate, it's probably going to come back and bite me in the ass in about four weeks, just how everything else is going. But Miami, Florida State, I, I'm starting to feel bad for James Blackman. I know he's in, he's doing his own part in inviting in some of this pressure, sometimes holding onto the ball too long. But I, this was – I mean, this was sad. Yeah, I mean, this is something we talked about, I think, last week where we're like, we're never really going to get to see the real James Blackman because – that offensive line is so porous and has been so porous and continues to be so porous throughout his, throughout his FSU career. And you feel bad. Like I said, he played against, uh, I guess Georgia tech in their first game. He actually played well when he was kept clean. Like you said, he does invite some of the pressure with, with, you know, taking too much time in the pocket and running into pressure sometimes, but that's just not, it's not fair to him. And then on the other side, Hey, wait a minute, maybe Miami, has an O-line and a quarterback now, <laughs> you know, like we, we, we both love uh, Derek King and he was a guy that I didn't talk too much about during the off season. And honestly, like I'm going to take you guys like, you know, through the, uh, I'm going to open the curtain here. One of the reasons is because like, you know, when I'm looking up the stats, I'm always putting in like 2019 stats and he doesn't show up there because only four games. Plus he was terrible in those four games, or I just said the offense was terrible in those four games in Houston. So like he, he doesn't register for me because his name doesn't pop up when I'm going through, you know, the, the stats and, and, and the film and stuff like that. And it's like, Oh yeah, by the way, this guy was like a, a second highest graded quarterback in 2018. And with Lashley there putting an offense together that works for him. It was like, man, <laughs> he looks good. I, I'm, I'm ready to say Miami's back because the best thing about saying Miami's back right now is I get Clemson in two weeks which means uh, all our Miami's back takes are going to go out the window after they probably lose to Clemson. But I'm excited for that game. Like I said, uh, they're, they're good in the trenches with Quincy Roche and Jalen Phillips who got ejected from that game. And Quincy Roche was, I mean, he, uh, unblockable against, for, uh, against Florida State. So I'm excited for Miami. Um, but anyways, let's move on to, uh, let's stay in Florida. UCF beat East Carolina. Another big day from Dylan Gabriel. Yeah, and, you know, I alluded to it earlier that we're going to have an interesting situation on our hands if UCF wins out. And I think they are going to win out. I think they are, they had, they're going to face Memphis and Cincinnati, and those are going to be tough matchups for them. There's no doubt about that. But I think this UCF offense is easily the best in the group of five. And I, I think, you know, we're going to have an interesting debate, you know, about the, you know, should they expand to eight teams? And I think this is going to be the domino that falls everything over because they're going to go undefeated. It's going to come down to maybe them, Notre Dame, maybe a Georgia or Oklahoma. 
and then they're not going to get in and then it's just going to be chaos again. But Dylan Gabriel, man, I, I think he's a top 10 quarterback right now in his two games. He's our third highest graded quarterback of the 2020 season. You know, a lot of his best throws, you know, they come on that patented go ball. But I, I thought he really executed a great offense this past week. And I can only remember really one bad throw and it really wasn't even all that bad. If I recall correctly, I think he had the lowest negatively graded throw rate of the week. So I, I really like UCF. And, you know, I hope they get into the playoff, but I have a hard time believing that they're going to put UCF, even if they're undefeated over any other team. But moving on to sticking in the American conference, we have Cincinnati and Army. You know, you did not want to pick against the triple option offense, but here we are. Cincinnati comes out on top. Yeah, it was like, I mean, it was kind of like a joke pick, but I was like just more hoping that Army um, could come away with the win, even though I didn't think it was actually going to happen. Cincinnati is a good team and we're going to get another, we're going to get another Cincinnati UCF, you know, uh, winner take all match probably in the, in the AEC at some point. I liked a little bit of what I saw from Desmond Ritter last year. He's got an absolute cannon for an arm and, uh, and they look good again. I mean, they didn't score a bunch of points, but I, I think they can, they can, um, they can start kind of uh, unlocking that offense a little bit more. Uh, they're 2-0, UCF's 2-0, like I said, they'll, they'll play each other eventually. Moving on to Oklahoma State, beating our boy Jared Daigie. I don't think it was as bad a game for Daigie, but uh, the Oklahoma State offense actually moved the ball, and we did not expect that. Yeah, they kind of got lucky, I would say, you know, with that, um, you know, defensive touchdown there early on. And, you know, West Virginia was just playing from behind at that point. But also... I think we also need to attribute some of Daggy's just kind of bad day on the offensive line. I don't want to make excuses for him because he didn't have the best of games too when he was clean. But when you spend half of your dropbacks under pressure exactly 50% like he did, you're not going to have a good day. And, you know, that it, it's a whole different world. I know Oklahoma State, the defense is – it's good. It was, I would say it's one of the better ones in the Big 12. But, I mean, it's still a lot better than Eastern Kentucky, what he had to face. So, I mean, that was kind of – I, you know, it's kind of like the uh, the welcome to, you know, you're the guy, you're getting some attention now. You know, you have to kind of overcome that. But, I mean, that was that, that is a brutal offensive line right there. But Oklahoma State, I was really impressed with Rodarius Williams, the uh, cornerback. He's actually Greedy Williams' brother, Cleveland Browns' cornerback. And so far this year, he is the only cornerback in college football to play at least 50 coverage snaps at outside corner and not allow a single yard. I, I'm pretty sure he had four targets uh, yesterday or two days ago, and forced four incompletions. So, I I mean, he, I really think he's going to be kind of that. He's been a very, you know, good guy in their secondary last few years. I think he's taking that next step forward. So, those are my two takeaways. I really hope Jay Diggy bounces back. Hopefully that offensive line gets better because I, I cannot see my guy under pressure that much again. Um, going to Tennessee, South Carolina. I was I was frustrated with the way South Carolina ended this game. I believe it was a few minutes left in the game, fourth and 12 in Tennessee territory, and they kick a field goal down seven. You know, I, I don't know about you, but I think that's – I know it's fourth and 12, but you have to go for that. What I mean, you're going to be down four points anyway. Yeah, I think they were obviously hoping that they would get the ball back, which they, they probably should have at the end with the, uh, the fumble on the – or like the, the, the touch on the, on the punt. But at the same time, I agree with you. I mean, like, one of the things that I, I, I find in, in sports that's funny, and it, it, I, you can find examples of this in any sport, but it's like, 
you, there's a, an assumption that we're going to get into good positions to score again. So don't worry about it now. Like, don't like, it's okay if we kick a field goal now because we're going to be in a position to score later. And this is a classic example of that. They're in a position to put points on the board. Like you said, yes, fourth and 12, but they're in Tennessee territory. They end up kicking the field goal. It was unfortunate, but they never get the ball back. So it's like, you can't just assume that you're going to get the ball back in in uh in in tennessee territory again to make a play and to win the game and and that's exactly what happened uh i'm happy that tennessee won because i stupidly picked them as a as a top five team in the s in the in the sec and i said jared guarantano is a good quarterback he was like okay even though they won so that at least looks good on the surface level uh anyways let's move on to uh the last game we're going to talk about which is TCU and Iowa State. Brock Purdy, he's he's a good quarterback now again. Is that true, or is he not a good quarterback? What's going on? He just seems like the same old Brock Purdy, man. It's so frustrating. I wrote before the game that he needs to stop trying to do too much. Sometimes he looks like he's trying to be Superman out there and save the day. And he, he wants to be Patrick Mahomes, but he, he's not. And, you know, that one interception when he's getting sacked and just chucks the ball up in the air. That's a prime example of that. Like, what do you do? Just take the sack. Don't even attempt that. The only bad's going to come out of that type of situation. But, you know, my I think the biggest thing, you know, I saw from this game was Max Dugan. You know, what he did when he came back in. I mean, just about a month ago, we weren't even sure if he was even going to play this year. You know, they were doing COVID screening. They found a heart condition. And next thing you know, a couple of weeks ago, he's back in practice after a surgery and, you know, ready to go. And they ended up starting Matthew Downing. Didn't really go out all that well. TCU, their uh, EPA per pass play was negative, was not in that positive category. Max Dugan came in. And, you know, the biggest thing we had issues with with Max last year was his accuracy. I mean, it was some of the worst in college football. But to, I mean, on Saturday, completely different. It, it was incredible. On throws of 10 or more yards, went perfect six for six. 172 yards and three touchdowns, just one uncatchable pass all day long. So I, I, you know, I was really happy to see that just because, you know, we weren't even sure if he's going to continue on this year. Here he is, comes back, you know, gets, gets uh, TCU almost to the victory lane. I, I think if he would have played that way and started the game from the original, you know, we'd be talking about a different outcome, but you know, it, it was still great to see Max have that kind of bounce back right there. All right, guys, uh, that's it for our recap episode. Stay tuned later this week. You'll get our full episode. Uh, and Tresh will be back on and we'll preview the upcoming uh, week's games. Thanks for listening. <laughs>